This is the Neurosurgery Podcast. So I'm very delighted to be joined by Farhan Sadiq. Farhan is the program director at University of Missouri, otherwise known as Mizzou. Welcome to our podcast, Farhan. Thank you for inviting me. Great. So as you know, we're going through as many of the neurosurgery training programs in the country as we can. And so we'll spend about 10 minutes talking about Mizzou and what the program's like. But why don't you start by telling us about your complement, how many residents you have, how many you take a year, how long the program is. Uh, so we're a, a seven-year uh, uh, residency program. We take one resident a year. Um, you know, the, the advantages of our one resident a year program is that it's a small program where um, residents and faculty can have, uh, you know, sort of a lifelong ongoing uh, uh, relationship. And that allows, uh, I, I think, for uh, better character build- building in future, um, as well as uh, developing neurosurgical skills. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I remember the time when most programs were one resident a year, and it was very intimate. And to be perfectly honest, it was almost impossible to fire people because they're so essential, right? There's no redundancy built in. So I, I like that family feel of the small one-person-a-year programs. So tell us, you want to go, walk through very quickly the rotations they go through in the seven years? Yeah, so we, you know, over the over the years, I've been at Mizzou for about three years almost, and uh, and has had been associated in the past as well. But over the years, we've been through several different uh, type of uh, models. But the most recent model that I think actually works very very well for uh, uh, one year um, residency programs is that uh, what we try to do is have the call burden loaded up front. Um, so uh, typically, PGY one, two, three, and four usually take most of the call. We are a level one trauma center. Um, one of the other advantages that we have is that it's it's all in one um, uh, phenomena. So we are a level one trauma center. We are a tertiary care um, uh, center for the Central Missouri, as well as a comprehensive stroke center. So it's all in one. And so uh, residents um, typically, um, you know, they stay at one spot and they get all kind of um, uh, training, uh, including vascular, tumor, skull base, um, and spine. Um, so I think that really is an advantage for us. Um, uh, so what we do is uh, the call is up up, fl- uh, up front, and uh, so PGY one through four uh, take care of the night float system, uh, and then uh, going beyond PGY four, there is no in-house call requirement. Um, what what happens during the day is that now we have two APPs that cover on the weekdays, um, so that allows or frees up the daytime residents um, to uh, be able to do other clinical. Uh, activities such as go to OR and clinic. Um, and that really helps them uh, to get more uh, clinical experience during the weekdays. On the weekends, it's usually the week, uh, residents covering with the faculty. Uh, hopefully going in future, we'll have some APP coverage too, but this is what we've gotten so far uh, from the hospital, which I think is a, is a great deal. And uh, I'm actually actively working with a few other um, one-year residency programs to try to develop something similar. So we are kind of the same all across the board, because I think that's a good model to um, go for in future. And you're in Columbia, Missouri, correct? Yes. And how, what, tell me about life in Columbia, Missouri. So Columbia is a small Midwestern town. Um, it's, uh, it's about, the population is about 120,000. And then there's a, a big university, which uh, uh, obviously in, in, in full bloom has another 40 to 50,000 students. So uh, the city itself is very vibrant. It's small. It has a very nice uh, family feel to it. Uh, it's very cheap, of course, to live. And uh, uh, you know, the two—it's—it's it's kind of sandwiched between two big cities, uh, 
Uh, we are halfway from uh, Kansas City and St. Louis. Uh, we have our own airport. Um, although being a small airport, we don't have a lot of flights out. Uh, usually it's gonna, you know three or four connections daily to Dallas and Chicago. So we can catch almost any uh, connecting flights through those major hubs. Um, the, the city is in a process of building a new airport. But overall, uh, you know, it's a growing city. Uh, it's one of the uh, fastest growing counties in, um, in, in central Missouri. Um, having said that, you know, it's a small city. So if you're up for a life in a small city, then I think we're a great place. There are a lot of hiking trails. There are a lot of outdoor activities available. Lake of the Ozarks is about an hour and a half south of us. And then there's Branson, which is a world-class uh, tourist resort, which is another about two hours from uh, south, two and a half hours south of us. Yeah, and I imagine that your residents in that kind of setting, they can even uh, contemplate, say, purchasing a home as an investment and a place to live and, and all that, right? As opposed to living in like New York City or something like that, where it's unreachable. Yeah, absolutely. I think most of our smart residents have bought homes. You know, if you're here for seven years, you're going to acquire some equity in that. So I think that's always a good idea. Um, the, the property is relatively cheaper. You can get a very decent house for, for, for a very reasonable price. Um, so I, I think th th there are certain huge benefits. Um, of course, bigger cities have a lot different things to offer, but there is also a lot of competition. We don't have any competition. We are the only level one comprehensive uh, stroke center. We are the only level one um, trauma center. So there is really no other competition uh, within about, let's say, 100 miles of us. Um, so that allows us to be very unique and uh, progressive. Did we meet last month at the Ozarks Neurosurgical? Um, actually, I didn't attend the Ozark this year. I was going to attend, but then, uh, you know, we're um, right now our faculty is thin. We're in the process of aggressively recruiting new faculty, and I had to cover call. So I was actually scheduled to go to Ozark, but then I missed out. But I will be there next year. Yeah, I think I met some of your partners, and I was very impressed with the level of technical surgery that was being done. They were working on the spine robot, and uh, I think one of your faculty was teaching on the robot. And so I was very impressed that you guys obviously have some very high-level technology in your hospital. So maybe you could tell our listeners, the applicants out there or, or medical students, what you think it is about your program, Mizzou, that makes it unique and stands out in the world of American neurosurgery. Well, so some of those unique things that we, we talked about were um, I briefly touched upon was that we are all in one center. So we, um, you know, the residents technically don't have to go out and do outside rotations, but we do have abil uh, ability now to have outside rotations. We're, work we're actively working to uh, have uh, some of our other partners down south in Springfield um, and, uh, and have our residents allowed to go and get a feel of a busy private practice rotation. Um, you know, if, if uh, given a, a full opportunity, I think we'll probably have a, a resident down there full, full to spend one full year that will really add up. The other unique thing that we do is the PGY-5, you, know, we, we, you know, we really want to cater to whatever residents are um, or however they want to um, cultivate their future towards. Um, so if they want to do a research, we have a built-in PGY-5, which is a research year. However, if somebody wants to do, uh, for example, an infolded spine fellowship or an infolded uh, um, uh, year one of endovascular fellowship, that's also available. Uh, we do have endovascular fellowship program. Um, uh, typically, we take um, uh, neurosurgery residents, you do some form of infolded fellowship and then uh, do one year of endovascular. Uh, and then there are neurology uh, fellows who are uh, in a two-year track. So we have that ability. Uh, none of our residents have been interested in endovascular so far. Uh, we also have been 
very successfully able to place our uh, uh, residents into good uh, fellowship programs. Our last uh, uh, two residents are, one is at Mayo Clinic doing spine fellowship and one is uh, uh, doing tumor fellowship at uh, University of Colorado. And then our uh, current PGY7 um, is actually looking for a trauma fellowship uh, at very good programs. PGY6 is, getting a, is doing an endoscopic spine fellowship. And then PGY5 just recently got uh, accepted at a very nice or a good skull-based fellowship. So we've been able to do that because we have a very personalized connection with these residents. And, you know, we are able to get them and promote them and kind of, you know, from very early on, um, uh, find, uh, um, you know, their interests and then uh, uh, try to channel those interests towards a successful career, whether it's a private practice career or an academic career. I'm obviously an academic neurosurgeon, so I try to promote more of that. We have a very robust um, research uh, uh, facility available. The second important thing that I'm trying to do uh, since the past year is that I'm trying to do quarterly skull-based uh, um, uh, cadaver dissection program. This year, we have Dr. Charlie Tew coming, uh, sorry, Charlie Tew coming um, uh, to us in November to do a, a brain tumor uh, symposium. Um, one of the unique things about us is that we're in the middle. Um, so there's a Washu and SLU on our east and then Kansas City on our uh, West, uh, so we are in a very unique position to collaborate between, you know, these inter uh, programs and develop um, some kind of uh, uh, residency training model where residents will have ability to uh, not only rotate but also have uh, centralized um, um, uh, training programs. Uh, so I'm actively working with the, with those programs to try to figure out a unique uh, process for this region. So if I can summarize, if you're interested in a program that is smaller and more intimate and has a feel of a family and where people are very supportive uh, in a setting where you might be able to get some home equity and it's a safe place, then you should take a look at Mizzou. So thank you, Farhan, for coming on the podcast today and for introducing our listeners to your program. Thank you so much. This is a unique opportunity. I really am uh, very excited to be part of it. Welcome to the Neurosurgery Podcast, here today with another installment in our series of residency spotlights for the 2021-22 virtual interview season. We are overjoyed today to be joined by Dr. Howard Silberstein, the Program Director at the University of Rochester Medical Center Neurosurgery Program up in New York and Rochester. Dr. Silberstein, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and thank you for that introduction. Of course. And, and, you know, by way of introduction, why don't you take a moment and let the listeners, particularly the applicants this year, get to know you a little bit better and talk a little bit about the University of Rochester program and how it looks from the inside. Okay. I'll, I'll try to do my best with that. That's a, a fairly open-ended question. Um, uh, I'm a neurosurgeon. I've been in Rochester since 1991. I initially came here uh, in private practice. And in 98, I, I joined the university faculty at that time. Uh, it was a small program. It was one per year. Uh, in 2000, uh, the pediatric neurosurgeon left uh, Rochester. So uh, I was 40 at the time. And, and I went back and I did a fellowship at CHOP. Uh, and I came back as the pediatric neurosurgeon in 2001. Uh, and 13 years ago, the program director, uh, Bob Bakos, retired, and by default, I took over. And I've enjoyed doing it since. Uh, the program, uh, shortly before I took over, had expanded to two residents per year. Uh, for, a year for a little while, it was one and a half, uh, and we are two, two residents per year. Um, 
Rochester is a city of oh about 200,000 people. Uh, uh, Monroe County is about a million. Uh, and our catchment, every, uh, uh, catchment population, uh, depending on the disease process, could be upwards of uh, 3 million people. Um, so we, the, the faculty has expanded. Uh, when I was first back from my fellowship in 2001, I think we had four faculty, four or five faculty. Uh, we have about a dozen faculty. We have uh, three uh, pain uh, 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 neurologists, anesthesiologists. We have uh, uh, neurointensive care uh, people. We have uh, uh, three uh, endovascular, vascular trained neurosurgeons at this point. Um, and we have all the subspecialties covered from uh, pediatric to peripheral nerve to epilepsy, functional. Uh, and uh, in the last several years, uh, we have really uh, expanded our, uh, our uh, stroke service. Uh, we have a mobile stroke unit. Uh, I could go on and on. So the, the, uh, I guess the next thing would be just to give you a flavor of the program, uh, we're, we're a pretty benign program. Uh, uh, we have uh, uh, a really uh, congenial faculty. Uh, the residents and the faculty get along real well. Um, the, uh, the pandemic has kind of squashed some of what goes on here. Uh, we had uh, an in-person visiting professor today uh, from Albany, and that's the first in-person uh, 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 a visiting professor we've had. Everything else has been uh, has been virtual, unfortunately. Yeah, so that's fantastic, Howard. I mean, I think, you know, everybody knows of Rochester and, and we, it's funny, it's easy to confuse Rochester, Minnesota with Rochester, New York, but both great programs in both places. Um, tell us about what you think it is that makes you guys unique in the world of neurosurgery. I mean, the, all the programs are great, right? But you mentioned that it's a very benign place. I like that you say that because some applicants are going to look for a place that's a little bit more like a family, right? Right. Um, you know, I, I think some some of the um, the aspects that make it that way is uh, it's a small city, but it's self-contained. I mean, um, you could do anything that you want in a big city without the uh, commuting hassle, uh, without the traffic jams, uh, without the high cost of living, uh, without the stress that you might have in a bigger city. Uh, and really, uh, you know, I didn't train here. Um, but uh, from the standpoint of being a trainee here, uh, the last thing that you want to deal with is having to contend with cost of living, high cost of housing, commuting, traffic, uh, and hassles. And, and it really is, I think, hassle-free. One of the bigger challenges um, has been the weather, which has actually uh, been easier in the last five, six years. I mean, we don't get nearly as much snow and it's not nearly as cold as it used to be. Uh, having said that, who knows what will happen this year. But, you know, this is this is uh, this is mid-November and there's still green leaves on the trees. Uh, it's the first time I've seen that. But uh, and then and then to move on the personalities, you know, there's always going to be personalities in neurosurgery. We all know that. Uh, but we really don't have malignant personalities here. Um, we have a lot of camaraderie. Uh, I'll, I'll give you an example of uh, one of our one of our ch uh, chief residents. To uh, a year uh, a year ago came uh, as an attending. We hired him, 
and uh, he was on call and he got uh, a, or he had a patient come in with a posterior fossa pendymoma uh, in the uh, bottom of the fourth ventricle at the obex. And he wanted to put on the schedule, but he had to be out of town uh, on, on the Friday. And he calls me up and he says, uh, you know, uh, I know you could handle this. Would you mind taking this? I said, not at all. I said, what's the issue? And he told me, I said, listen, book it for Wednesday. You do it. I'll be there. I'll help you with it if you need help. And I'll follow the lady afterwards. You could go away with a clear conscience on, on Friday night. Do what you need to do. And uh, if there's a problem, I'll let you know, but it'll, it'll be fine. And it worked out real well. So that's the sort of thing that happens here. Um, you know, the residents do that, too. I mean, there's always going to be, uh, you know, an issue on, hey, you know, uh, you gave me an extra day of call. Uh, but for the most part, uh, they're, they're a pretty happy group. Um, uh, another example is, you know, this is the second year of the virtual interviews. Um, uh, about five years ago, there, there was a place uh, that started up in Rochester uh, called Radio Social. It's actually where they used to make the old uh, radios. Uh, and it's been a couple of things since then. A couple of guys bought it, uh, came up with this concept of uh, putting in uh, a bunch of bowling lanes uh, and other games, uh, a bar and a restaurant. And we sort of latched onto it. And that's what we did with, with the applicants that come through. Uh, we'd take them out there the night the night before the interviews on Friday. They'd come in. They'd come to our academic conference, uh, and then they'd go through the interviews on Saturday. And this last year it was all virtual. This year the residents came and said, "Hey, I know the applicants can't go, but we want to go." So we're interview uh, next Friday. We're interviewing. Uh, it's all virtual, as you know. And then uh, after we're done with that uh, Friday night, we're all going to Radio Social. So we're going to go bowl and eat and drink. Classic resident move. Even if the applicants can't come, you've still got the uh, the funding for yeah, it. Yeah, I, I was genius. I was genius. Yeah. In fact, we're doing it three. T we're we're interviewing three times. I, I think we're only doing radio social twice. I don't know what we're doing the third time. Uh, but it's it's you know we're trying to get things back to normal, back the way you know it used to be. You know we still haven't had a a journal club in an attendings home. We've done a couple. You know we we've done. Uh, uh, the graduation party in in person, and we, actually we didn't miss it. Even uh, the first the first time around, uh, we did it outdoors, and we just you know cut the guest list down. Right. Well, you know, speaking of uh, recent chief residents and the the friendly and camaraderie personalities in your program, one of your recent graduates, Dr. James Towner, is the newest attending at Cook County Hospital, who I've been working with for the past few months since he started. And he's been very well received, very well liked, very extremely competent and kind, as you described. And one of the things he has talked frequently about is that during his training, the, the sheer number and volume of angiograms he was able to do and log were through the roof compared to most programs just in his residency alone, not doing any additional infolded fellowship time or dedicated elective time. Obviously, so many young neurosurgeons are moving toward endovascular training as a way to supplement their open surgical capacities when they graduate. Maybe you could talk a, a bit more about, you said there's a mobile stroke center, talk a bit more about the endovascular exposure uh, during training there at Rochester. Yeah, I, well, going back historically, I'll put uh, initially uh, Babic Jerome, who's in Chicago now at Northwestern. Uh, he came here and he, he sort of took off with it. Uh, he had uh, brought two other people in. And what we designed was uh, rotations where for uh, six months as a PGY2 
and then again for six more months as a PGY4, you would be on that service. That was, it's a service within a service. It's still at strong. Uh, and the number of, as you, as you mentioned, the number of endovascular uh, angiograms and exposure to endovascular intervention really took off. Uh, since that time, uh, uh, Dr. Bala has come, we've recruited Dr. Bala. Uh, we have Dr. Mattingly and Dr. Bender now. And uh, they've taken to, to the next level. Dr. Bala, uh, with his Cleveland uh, Clinic experience, uh, 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 did a fundraiser. And we have, uh, I think it was the 13th uh, mobile stroke unit in the country, uh, which is up and running here in Rochester, which is really uh, pretty impressive. And, uh, you know, this, this has a CT on it. Intervention can start at the door once the patient is in the, the it's a big giant ambulance. Uh, and, and the other thing that they've done is uh, they've applied and uh, now have accreditation for a CAST fellowship. Um, we have already had uh, our, our present chief resident uh, did an infolded vascular year. Uh, and uh, our PGY4 next year is, is going to be a PGY5 doing the, uh, an infolded vascular experience uh, under the CAST fellowship. And they, they, the great thing is there's enough volume that it really doesn't impact the other uh, junior residents. Well, Howard, as we draw this to a close, um, maybe I can turn the tables on you guys because the program is obviously amazing. It's complete. It's got all the trappings of where anybody wants to train. But are there any weaknesses? Uh, no weaknesses. I, I think, you know, whatever the weaknesses we have are uh, the weaknesses uh, that are, you know, uh, across the country. Um, you know, we're in an age where there's, um, you know, uh, key, key terms, wellness and diversity. And we, I think we meet those, those standards. Um, uh, I, I think the uh, requirements for um, doing modules, the attendings and, and the residents and, and, and uh, you know, uh, requirements for uh, certification and get and, and upkeep and doing uh, root cause analysis and and all th those those are um, those are always going to be challenging to any program. Uh, so we're, we're no exception. We, we have those same issues. Uh, but, you know, we're pretty we're pretty uh, flexible and, and we accommodate those, those requirements. Um, I can't really say there's any experience experience um, uh, deficits. Uh, we, you know, with our uh, research time and with our um, uh, PGY six year, we have some electives. Uh, historically, we've had uh, residents uh, spend six months at research in Melbourne, Australia. Two residents have done that so far. And our present PGY five is going to do that next summer. Uh, we've also had our residents go uh, out of uh, area for uh, infolded fellowships. Uh, Tyler Schmidt did a uh, uh, a oncology fellowship uh, at Geisinger for for 12 months. Uh, we've had uh, residents do uh, bench research. We've had residents pursue MBA. Um, uh, so uh, we've uh, we've really I think cover all the bases. Well, that's fantastic, Dr. Silberstein, and I want to thank you on behalf of our listeners. Uh, good luck in the match. I'm sure you guys are going to do great. Thank you very much.
Well, we continue our mini-series on the programs of neurosurgery in Canada and America, and we're joined today by Jeremy Greenlee from University of Iowa. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great. So, you know, I've heard so much about Iowa. It's funny because Iowa's, you know, in the Midwest, but we know that uh, many of the programs there, including neurosurgery, are among the best in the country. So you want to tell us a little about what makes Iowa special? Yeah, it's, uh, I think the thing that we strive for is to train academic, uh, hopefully future leaders of neurosurgery. So we look for candidates who are interested in academics and uh, have intellectual curiosity. And the program is really a purpose built to uh, take that talent in with mentoring and research opportunities, but still an outstanding clinical volume, get people trained up to, to take faculty positions and, and lead the field. Yeah, so tell us how you do that structurally. Are there dedicated years for basic science research? Are there laboratories where people can do wet bench work? What is the structure of the program that really serves as like sort of a, a nesting place for people interested in academia? Yeah, all the above. So we have two years of protected research time that every resident does in PGY four and five years. Uh, we give them intense mentoring from intern year on where they uh, get career and research development ideas uh, with faculty guidance um, starting from PGY1. So by the time they go into the lab, they have a plan and a mentor and, and preliminary data, and then uh, craft their interests craft their interests over time with lots of research opportunities here uh, to get them paired up with leaders uh, across the institution, but also across the world. So Jeremy, let me see if I heard you correctly. You said PGY1. PGY1 is when the mentoring starts. So we want all of our trainees to be thinking about uh, research interests to kind of explore their interests uh, and give them guidance from uh, faculty here who are established uh, clinician scientists to, to take those interests and get them uh, crafted into a tractable project that they will complete when their lab time starts uh, as PGY4 and 5. Wow, that's fantastic. So uh, how does, like, how do they get funding for this? I guess the funding would happen in the PI's lab initially, and then they would work towards grant applications? Exactly. So that's that's why that mentoring starts so early, so that we can get preliminary data, uh, so you can be competitive for NRSA or, or other funding mechanisms by the time you go into the lab. But uh, initially, it's all kind of departmental and PI supported. Wow, that's that's fantastic. And I think that for the young people out there, they, they should hear this because so much of neurosurgery is based on on research and science. And we're probably the specialty in medicine that has the strongest emphasis of that in training of any specialty across the board. So I, my hat's off to you. But let me throw it to you another way to be devil's advocate. What if you're a resident who finds out mid residency that basic science really probably is not your shtick and you, you don't want to do that? What happens to those folks? Good question. Uh, I mean, I think all of this scientific training, whether it's basic science uh, or not, translates into um, productive faculty neurosurgeons. So most most uh, faculty neurosurgeons aren't doing basic science research uh, as part of their jobs. And we, we recognize that, but just kind of having uh, the ability to, to pose pertinent questions, uh, whether it's clinical or basic science related, to be able to uh, design experiments and, and build a team to answer those questions uh, does translate into um, skills that I think faculty neurosurgeons need to have. So uh, most of our trainees, even with this training, still don't do basic science when they graduate, but they all do become productive uh, academic 
faculty members. Yeah, that's that's right. And, and I, I really have to commend you guys on that effort, because even if you end up being a hospital administrator, your ability to process data, to analyze information and come to conclusions and action plans might come out of your time in the lab. Right. That's that's really what you're saying. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So tell us about the various programs there. I know Iowa is a big place. Tell us, uh, you know, of all the subspecialties that you have there, what stands out in your mind? Uh, so it's it's a very busy place, um, and we have a large geographical um, referral area. So I mean, all subspecialties are, are covered well, but we have outstanding uh, complex spine surgeons like um, Dr. Manasis's history with craniovertebral junction and Dr. Hitchon's uh, complex spine work now. Um, and we see a lot of brain tumors, for example. We see a lot of vascular cases um, and dual-trained faculty uh, neurosurgeons uh, helping with that to a brand-new children's hospital uh, that covers all aspects of pediatric neurosurgery. So we think it's a very broad-based training experience and a large amount of patients across all disciplines so that we can give trainees a, a very well-rounded experience. And for them to kind of craft whichever subspecialty interest they gravitate to over over their training period. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Pat Hitchens, and and just for those of you who are not as aware of Iowa, I mean, I would say that if you looked at ENT, orthopedics, plastic surgery, and I would count neurosurgery in there, uh, Iowa stands in the in the in the very tip top of training. And I think part of it may be the type of injuries you see, like the type of complex injuries you see in. I don't want to say rural America, but, you know, in, in farm country, right, you see some very complicated stuff, right? That's right. I mean, the, a lot of our patients try as hard as they can to never go to a doctor, but um, it takes a lot of pathology to get them to come in. And we see a, a large range of, of very interesting and challenging cases. And it's rewarding to take care of these hardworking people that just want to get better and, and go back to being productive farmers, for example. It's like the opposite of Miami, right? Exactly. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about the mechanics. How many residents you take a year? Is it seven years? How those years play out? Sure. It's, it's a seven-year training program. We take two residents a year now. We actually have paperwork submitted and are trying to expand to an alternating 3-2 regimen, which would add three or four additional residents, which would be very uh, helpful. Um, and... The intern year is pretty standard. Do your neurology time then uh, with other surgical rotations and six months neurosurgery. Uh, typical junior residency is as PGY two and three with a six month pediatric rotation. The four and five years are, are protected lab time and your only clinical commitment is one weekend a month chief resident call. And then the other unique thing we do is as uh, after the chief year as a PGY six, the R seven year uh, we give residents a six-month elective uh, option where they can go anywhere in the world to pursue whatever additional training experiences they look for. So we've had people stay in the, in the U.S., we've had people go abroad, and it gives you another six-month window to um, craft your skill set as best you can and distinguish yourself when you're looking for an academic job. So that's a pretty unique uh, opportunity to do. Yeah, that's fantastic. When I ran the fellowship at USC, I would send the fellows away out of the country for three months just so they could see how different it would be to be in Australia or Germany or, or whatnot. So that's that's fantastic. So, Jeremy, as we wrap up here, um, maybe I'll give you a couple minutes to speak to the applicants this year, a message maybe from University of Iowa. What do you think is your vision as program director and what kind of optimistic message to send to the young people out there? Yeah, I think... Um 
mean, I'm very happy here. I've been here for 23 years. And I think if, if you have an academic interest, um, and even if you don't have a tremendous research background, uh, but if you want to be an academic neurosurgeon someday, I think this place gives you every opportunity to do that. So you get outstanding clinical training. You get the ability to uh, lead a team uh, as a chief resident and mentor junior residents. And, and that's another skill set that we think academic neurosurgeons need to have. And then the, the research training to come up with questions and answer those questions and design experiments and build a research team of collaborators um, is all the pieces are in place here to achieve those goals. Um, and that's why um, almost all of our residents uh, over the past 15 years have taken academic jobs. So um, I would say come check us out. It's, it's a unique place and it's a fun university college town. Uh, with different things going on, even though it's in the middle of Iowa. So, uh, yeah, check it out. Contact me with any questions, and um, we're happy to uh, show off a little bit and, and bring people to Iowa. Great. Well, thank you for your time today. Good luck in the match, and uh, thank you for sharing this very inspiring message about your unique program. Awesome. Thanks a lot for the opportunity, Mike. Disclaimer time. The opinions and ideas expressed in this show are solely those of myself, Dr. Wang, and our guests. They do not represent the opinions of any professional institution or organization. This show is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute the giving of medical or legal advice. Listening to or participating in this show does not constitute continuing medical education or any other professional certification. It's just a show, everybody.